Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improve Photography Network. The episodes come out every second Monday of the month, and I am your host, Jeff Harmon. Different person than the incredible Jim Harmer, Jeff Harmon, Jim Harmer, who owns and operates the Improved Photography Network. I know our names are so close, it causes a lot of confusion, which is um, unfortunate for Jim. This is Jeff Harmon anyway. And thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In this episode, I'm going to go through a detailed how I got the shot for a wedding photo I took this past summer. You can see the image I'm going to describe and the best I can do by audio, but uh, you can see it by going to improvephotography.com slash how I got the shot, H-I-G-T-S, so the how I got the shot, H-I-G-T-S, Miller. So it's all one together, H-I-G-T-S, Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. I know that's not a super easy URL, but I'm trying to make one that's unique and won't get reused and out on the site. So you can go see a pretty small version of the image out there. we got to be respectful to the, the site and try not to take it down by having a massive image out there. So again, that's improvephotography.com slash H-I-G-T-S Miller, all one, all together. And I'll put a, a link in the show notes uh, for, for those of you who can look that up. Another way you can see it, um, at Photo Taco Podcast on Instagram. It'll be one of the most recent posts that are out there as you listen to this uh, mid-August 2017, whatever year it is. <laughs> and um, I will make sure to post it again. I've already posted it once in the Improved Photography Podcast Facebook group, but I'll repost it as this episode goes live just so that you can go in there and see it too. If you haven't joined that yet, go search on Facebook for Improve Photography Podcast. should be real simple to find. And then ask to join the group. You will be asked a question in order to join the group. It's name a host, and you can use Jeff Harmon as me, or Jim Harmer for Jim, or Jeff Harmer and Jim Harmon. That you know, whatever. If you mix stuff up, that's fine. Um, but name a podcast host. It can be any of them that are on the Improved Photography Network. That way, we know that you're actually a listener, not a robot, or not a marketer, not a spammer, and uh, and that it's safe for us to let you in. So that'll instantly get you in as long as you can just put one of us down there as a host name and we'll get you in the group. So there you go. That's a couple of ways to go take a look at the photo and uh, hopefully you can do that because it's going to be a little tough to talk through in audio, I think. All right. Before I start at the beginning, I need to tell you a bit of a sad ending to the story here is kind of a warning to you all. I actually lost the original raw version of this photo and all of the other fun shots we got at the same shoot that in the same day that we created in the park that day of this couple. Now, if you've been a longtime listener of the Improved Photography Network, you may recall I recommend as a I recommended a, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months back now, um, a dude out of the week on the Improved Photography Podcast. It's a little Lexar USB thumb drive to add storage to a MacBook Pro or any portable device. It was a 128 gig drive, which is great because it added like 50% more storage to my 13 inch 2015 MacBook Pro. But even better was the really low profile it had, the entire thumb drive. It's not like the normal ones you think of that are a couple inches long. This one was no bigger than those dongles that you use to like connect a Logitech mouse to your computer. Uh, like something like maybe five millimeters or so. It was USB 3.0, so it had really fast read and write performance. Only stuck out that five millimeters. It made it perfect to always be in there. In fact, Lexar cl calls it the 
plug and stay drive because that's kind of how they envision people using them. You plug them into your laptop and you just leave it there for extra storage. So it was perfect use case and perfect thing to have with my MacBook Pro. I was using that drive to store photos so they wouldn't take up any more space on the very limited 256 gig SSD storage I have in the MacBook Pro. My plan all along from the very beginning was to treat this storage as very temporary, keeping the images I was editing there on the SD card as well so that until I could get them on my desktop, I had them kind of in two places and I would do that when I get home and then I'd follow my normal storage workflow where I have yet to lose anything. I've had drives fail, but I haven't lost anything because I have a really good storage workflow, moving photos around on different storage and have a cloud backup and all of that that I've talked about in other episodes and you can go find, if you do uh, photo taco searches, you can find some of that. Unfortunately, I broke my storage workflow rule in this one instance. I used the SD card that had the images on it for a shoot a few days later after this one. It was the same couple actually. We went and did another shoot somewhere else. But a few days after this shoot, I reused the same SD card. It was still in my camera. I was ready to shoot, so I just formatted the card and we went and I filled the whole thing up. So can't go try to use uh, recovery software to get the images off of that one SD card. Then um, a few days later, a couple weeks later, actually, it didn't immediately happen. I had intentions always to move those photos back off. I knew after I formatted the card, and that's why I chose to format, was I know it's on my laptop, USB drive. But a few weeks after it, and I didn't pull them off, the drive failed. The entire USB stick failed, like 100% bad sectors on the drive. I've thrown every data recovery tool at it I could find over the past couple of weeks, including the software that Lexar recommended from EaseUS, Eesus, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's E-A-S-E-U-S. And I, I used it. It didn't recover. It, it saw a bunch of other files to recover, but I, the ones that I needed, these raw files, because they're the only ones that were on there that were unique and only on that device, not replicated somewhere else. I've tried the Zarex tool. They, they would list some files, but none of them were the ones that I needed. I even tried a Linux computer using some special, a couple of different Linux packages for like four days, just left it in the machine and was having it do it and just nothing. I can't recover it. The drive is toast and it took the original raw photos with it. And it means I can't share with you the unedited version of the file, which I wish I could do as part of this episode. And I don't know if it means I can't recommend the Lexar drive, although they're kind of getting out of the... Uh, storage business overall, so they may not even be available very much longer. But I know I'm not anxious to put another one on this machine, at least not this low profile kind. I, it feels to me like that's what did it in, that the device is just so puny and small, there's not enough margin for error for that size of storage, and it, it just all failed at once. But let it be a warning to you, you got to have a good storage workflow, but you also have to make sure you actually follow that good storage workflow, which I've done for everything but this shoot over the last five and a half years. I got lazy on this one and it really cost me. Fortunately, I still do have the full resolution exports out of Lightroom. It's only the original raw files that are gone. So let's take a quick break here. And I want to thank the sponsor of this episode which is the Improve Photography Retreat. If you find this episode as something that helps you to learn and improve your photography, you absolutely have to come join me and the rest of the IP gang at our retreat. For some of you listening, it may already be that you only do photography, which is just awesome if that's what you've got. But for many of you, I know this is a chance for you to push out everything else going on in your lives, busy, busy lives, for a week, just one week, 
a few days even. It's not even a full week if you don't want. But take some time out of your busy lives and just do photography. Now, lots of people would call it a conference, but we call it a retreat because we think the attendees will have a blast doing photography with us for those few days. It's hands-on and it covers every aspect of photography. There is something at the retreat for everyone and all levels of photography. You don't have to feel like if you're just getting started or you're kind of a hobbyist and that, that you don't have the right skills to go there. I'm gonna be there, I'm a hobbyist. I'm gonna be with you. It, it's so much fun. I was really surprised at how much I loved being at the retreat in 2017. And I am so excited for 2018. It can't come fast enough. March 2018 is gonna be in Charleston, South Carolina this time. And I know there aren't very many spots left. So head over to improvephotography.com slash retreat to get your tickets now. Okay, so the reason I wanted to do this how I got the shot episodes, because I think, I hope, <laughs> This is going to be helpful to a good portion of the listeners in our audience. I, uh, you know, for the first time in, I don't know, five and a half years or so since I've really been working on improving my photography and I picked up that DSLR back in December 2011, this is the first shot I've created rather than captured. And there's a big distinction to me on that. It, it wasn't super clear. I know I've heard that before. Hopefully this whole episode will help to draw that out about what the difference is between those two, between capturing and creating a shot. So I wanna, I'm gonna go over kind of how I got there, what my thought processes were. Hopefully it'll, it'll be something that benefits a lot of you. When I got my Canon 60D back in 2011, I had no idea that I was going to get into photography like I have. I didn't know I'd be podcasting at all, let alone on photography, something I didn't know anything about in 2011. I got the camera to capture the things my kids were doing. They were, and they still are, heavily involved in all kinds of activities, and the point-and-shoot camera I was using just wasn't up to the task. So when I first got my camera, because I really didn't know how to use it, I still struggled to capture that moment. Shutter speeds were too low, I had challenges with focus, lots of reasons that I wasn't getting the shots I wanted. And I quickly learned how to overcome quite a few of those challenges because I found improvephotography.com and was finally getting some clear instruction on how to capture fast moving action and freeze it so I could get the shots I wanted. The word capture is perfect there though because that's all I was after when I got started. And that's all I really felt like I had done until this shot. This shot's different because I feel like I created it. Well, okay, to be fair, my wife and I did. <laughs> we worked together. Uh, she usually handles like almost all the posing, comes up with the ideas of where to put people when you're shooting portraits. She's usually much better at that than I am, and she kind of comes naturally to her. I, I've sort of taken care of the technical stuff, and, and she does more of the creative side. But in this particular case, I saw the trees and the path that are part of the photo very shortly after arriving and immediately had like this vision of a shot I wanted to create come into my mind. I saw very clearly in my head a specific way that I wanted to shoot this, these trees that I was seeing in the path. And I, it's really the first time it's ever happened to me. And I wanted to share how it all happened as a way that I hope that a lot of you can, can kind of get to the same point. So for you listeners out there who are like me, and I think there are a good portion of you who are hobbyists or people trying to improve your photography like I am, if this hasn't happened for you, my biggest message from this episode that I want you to, to, to take away is keep going. Don't give up. It can happen. There's a lot of learning. It's taken me five and a half years and maybe I'm slow. I don't know. But for it, it, it can happen. 
it will happen. Just keep going. Now I want to try and go through the, from the beginning to the end how this image came about, how I got the shot. Hopefully that'll explain it a little better. So this couple in the photo, my niece and now her new husband, they were married a couple weeks prior to my recording this episode. And normally my wife and I, we don't do weddings. I'm doing photography primarily as a hobby. We do some portrait shooting to uh, bring in just a little bit of money to help feed <laughs> or reduce the expenses of the hobby because uh, it's just such an expensive thing to do. I, but I'm not interested at all in giving up my weekends to shoot weddings and frequently couples get married during the day anyway when I'm at my nine to five job, my non-photography job. So it rarely works out that I can shoot a wedding in the first place. But I'm talking about the actual wedding event there. My wife and I do shoot bridals and engagements in the somewhat rare case where a couple's willing to have one photographer do those and a different photographer shoot the event. But this was my niece. We were already going to be at the wedding anyway. I'm already going to take my day off of work to go be there, actually. So we did it all in this case. And the couple researched where in the Salt Lake City area they wanted to take some bridals, engagements, and wedding photos prior to the wedding day. And they chose an area I'd never been to called Miller's Park Path, really close to downtown Salt Lake City. It's a, a path in the middle of an urban area that's been preserved from all the development that's been done around. It looks like they kind of left it untouched as they built houses and other things around this area. They decided to keep this one little path kind of natural. We send, uh, we scheduled a time to meet the couple up there, just like we do with all of our portrait shoots, and plan to just kind of walk around the area, find some spots, do some posing, take some shots capture a bunch of shots. That's normally how we do it. All right, well, the park path has this entryway, sorts sort of with a, a dirt gravel path taking you through the original tree and vegetation of the area. It's fairly good-sized trees that have grown over the years on the right and the left of the path, and it's sort of created this tunnel of trees, this tree tunnel effect, with the path going underneath it. Really picturesque and very cool place out in the middle of this urban area. And as soon as I saw that, I had this, this vision of a shot with the couple in the middle and this tree tunnel leading to them, uh, making sure that the tunnel of trees was leading the eye towards the couple rather than acting as a distraction where the eyes aren't sure where to be looking because these trees are so beautiful, which is something that, that easily could happen. You could easily take a shot where you're not sure exactly what the focus is. Is it the people or is it the trees? And uh, so to do that, I knew I wanted the trees to be much darker in shadow and, and very sharp contrast to the couple who would be more well lit. And uh, as we moved down the path, we came to this spot where there was a break on one side of the path where trees hadn't grown or maybe a tree had been taken out at some point. And we were there about an hour before sunset. So this gap in the trees allowed the sun where it was setting to come in and kind of light the path. And it made for a perfect natural lighting situation for me to create the photo. So I already had this vision of the photo I wanted to create in mind. And we came upon this spot where the natural lighting was just perfect for what it was I wanted to create. All of this took place way faster than it's taking for me to describe in words what's going on in my head. I had the vision of this shot I wanted to create. I noticed the lighting that would make it possible. And I did all this probably within, I don't know, 15 or 30 seconds after we started down the path. It was really fast, almost immediately. This was going to be the first shot we were going to take of the shoot, a couple hour shoot that we'd be there. I was really excited about it because until this point in the process, I'd been using for portraits was it was just to put the couple in beautiful surroundings. And then, you know, try to take all kinds of poses and positions. 
and capture a bunch of shots, but we weren't like purposely saying and putting it in place and like, oh, that is gonna be keeper. We'd go back later and say, oh, that one worked. I like that one. And so we get good shots still. It's still a process that's valid and works. And and I still have tons of clients that are very, very happy with the results. But I just had never felt like I'd created a shot until this one. Listening to the incredible portrait photographers on the Improved Photography team, I knew that capturing a bunch of shots rather than the creating one was not how you came away with really good portraits. But it just had never worked until this one. All right, so the other methods, they work, we capture, but this one's different because I created it and just didn't capture it. And I, I know I've said that a lot, but that's really what I want you to come away with. I hope that since I finally had an experience where I envisioned the end result and then created it, went all the way through from the, the camera settings to the post-processing and resulted in the shot I had, I'd seen in my head, I hope it's gonna happen more often. <laughs> I hope as I go out in future portraits and landscape shoots even, uh, that I'm gonna be able to have a vision of what I wanna do and I'm gonna be able to go create that shot. Uh, okay, so hopefully that, that makes sense and it gives you a little definition. Let's move on to some of the other details now rather than just focusing on creating versus capturing. There's a lot of detail from having that vision of the shot in my head to the shot you're seeing. So remember, I wanted to have, I don't know, about a third of the outer edge of the photo be this beautiful tree tunneled path and to have it lead the eye toward the couple in the middle by having it be probably somewhere around a full stop darker than the light of the couple. And I wanted it to be less focused too. I wanted it to be not as sharp there, very perfectly sharp on the couple. Now I was using my Tamron 24-70 f2.8 lens on my crop sensor Canon 7D Mark II. And I've shot that combination of lens and camera enough to know that to get the couple in sharp focus but have the path be less focused, I knew I needed to be at, at f2.8. That, that was obvious and so that was not even a decision. It was, that was, I already had the camera set there as we were setting out because I knew we'd be shooting at f2.8 most of the, of the session. I also knew that since I was shooting handheld, I wanted to have a shutter speed at least two times the focal length I was shooting at to make sure I didn't lose sharpness to camera shake. So I had to figure out how, what the focal length I was gonna use. I have the full range of that lens available to me from 24 to 70 millimeters to choose from because this path was fairly straight. I could go wide angle and be close to the couple physically with the camera or I could back up on the path and I could go long on the focal length and still fit the tree tunnel and the couple in the shot. So I very deliberately chose to shoot the shot at 70 millimeters, which on my 70 Mark II crop sensor would be like about 100 millimeters on a full frame sensor in many regards. That came from a lot of experience with my camera and lens. And I think my familiarity with my camera and lens contributed significantly to having this first experience where I created a portrait shot. I've said it before, and I'll say it, I'm sure a lot more, becoming a ninja with your camera. It really opens up other opportunities. It really lets the creativity part of photography play a more important role because you're not having to worry and focus and dedicate brain power to the settings and what the, the technical details. So learning that is so, so valuable. And I feel like that contributed significantly to my experience here. Now, I wasn't pulling out my phone and looking up the depth of field using the PhotoPills app or 
Uh, and we're going to go through that in a moment. <laughs> I also wasn't taking a shot at wide and a shot at long and then kind of determining which one I like better. I've done a lot of that where I'll take safe, you know, just multiple shots just to be safe so that I could figure out which one I liked better later. There's nothing super wrong with that, of course. I mean, you're still going to end up with a good shot. And I probably would have said, oh, it, it probably would have been obvious. I'm pretty sure after the fact that one focal length, I wouldn't have liked as much as the other, but I didn't have to take both in this case. It saves time, it instills confidence in your couple or your, your models, your clients that you're shooting. But um, it also just helps me to have confidence in my own shot. It helped me to feel like I was creating my photo rather than capturing it because I, I knew to accomplish the vision I had, I had to shoot a 70 millimeters on this camera with this lens. So what's the technical reason I needed 70 millimeters? Remember, I wanted the couple to be sharp, but everything else to be out of focus or at least slightly so that the eye would be drawn to the couple despite the beautiful surroundings they were in. It will help draw the eye to the couple when the other stuff is not quite as sharp. And I just, I didn't want them to be lost in the photo. Shooting an aperture of f2.8 will certainly help a lot there, but the distance the camera is away from the couple also affects the depth of field significantly. And uh, using the PhotoPills app today, as I prepped for this podcast, I looked it up. There are 24 millimeters on 7D Mark II. The depth of field is roughly 15 at, when you're standing 15 feet away from the couple, uh, which is roughly what I'm guessing I would have been if I shot at 24 millimeters, then the depth of field on that shot would be 15 and a half feet. The depth of the area in the scene that would be in acceptably sharp focus would be 15 and a half feet. Some of it in front of the focus point, some of it behind. And that's just a lot of the scene. That would include a whole bunch of the vegetation that would be pretty much perfectly sharp focus. And if I need to be safe and make sure that I get the couple in focus, if the skill set, if you're not sure, then that's a really safe thing to do. It would still be an incredible shot at 24 millimeters, but it wouldn't have realized the vision that I had. I wanted to get that depth of field so that it's just on the couple and have everything else kind of slightly blurry. Uh, it's, it's what really sets apart professional photos from, from non-professional. At 70 millimeters, I knew I would have to step back away from the couple a lot further. Of course, I didn't measure how far back I got from the couple. That's not what we're there to do. And that's why I'm not taking out the PhotoPills app right there in the field as I'm doing a portrait shoot. You could, but I, I want to be more in the flow. I want to have the couple more in the flow of taking the photos. And, and doing that, everyone starts getting bored and wondering, what are you doing? And it's just not great. But okay, using the app now, as I'm kind of after the fact doing it, I, I know that I've looked it up that 24 millimeters and 15 feet away to get the same field of view then at 70 millimeters, I'd have to be at 40 feet away. So 24 millimeters and 15 feet you get roughly the same field of view at 70 millimeters and 40 feet away. So at 40 feet, 70 millimeters and f2.8, that depth of field shrinks five full feet narrower to about 10 feet deep, which is better. That's I'd still prefer it was a little shallower depth of field than that, which means I'd have to have a full frame camera to really get that kind of effect. But um, it, it just was, it's better. It's better that I shrunk that depth of field and I was going to get what it was I wanted, what I had envisioned at 70 millimeters compared to at 24, which would still be a very good photo, but it wouldn't be creating the shot that I want. That would be capturing. Hopefully that's making sense. 
Now, I certainly could have added this effect digitally in post-processing. You could use a radial filter in Lightroom, decrease clarity, decrease sharpness, add a little extra noise reduction. All those things kind of do different ways of, of reducing the sharpness of the photo, making it look a little bit more blurry. And you, I, it, it's an extremely good way to do this same type of thing. If you want to lead the eye towards a specific part, touching that in a radial filter, doing those techniques, that really, really helps. And it's subtle. You can make it look very subtle or as, as over the top as you want. But it's way better to get that in camera than to try to emulate it in post. And this is the first instance where this was the thought process that ran through my head, but at a level that was almost subconscious. I, I didn't realize it as I was taking the photo. I mean, it felt different while I was doing it because I actually did feel like in the moment, like, I'm creating a shot here. I know exactly what I want to do. But the decisions I was making, I wasn't going through like the very technical reasons like, well, if if I'm 40 feet back, then the depth of field is going to shrink by five feet. And I'm going to no. it. It was just I knew I was going to have more of the look I wanted because I was at 70 millimeters. And that's kind of an important development for me. It's a step forward on how this works. Now the client likely wouldn't be able to tell the difference if you did it in post or you did it in camera, but I would know that I could have done better. And I would have wished that I'd made a different decision while shooting. There's another one of those I'll go through at the very end of this where that still happened even with this photo. So with the focal length decided, which happened, you know, seconds. <laughs> this was all within the first minute of being there on the path. I had them standing in the spot and I'd picked 70 millimeters and was backed up and, and framing them. Um, next is the exposure. Got to make sure I get the exposure right. And I knew I needed a shutter, remember, at least two times bigger than the focal length to try to ensure the camera shake didn't affect the shot. Well, 70 times two is 140, so that would mean one one sixtieth of a second on my Canon camera, because it doesn't do 140. And I was worried with the darkness of the trees. I, I set it to that 160, and I but I as I was considering the scene, I thought, ah, the darkness of the trees, that's so much darker, I could still end up having camera shake, make it look a little blurry. And yes, I want the trees to look blurry, but the look of camera shake blurry is different than the look of like optical blurriness and, and where the focus points are. And I didn't want that type of blur in the photo. So I decided I better double it again. I'm going to go to 1 320th of a second, and that's what I decided to use. All right, so aperture 2.8, shutter speed 1 320th of a second. So all that's left is ISO. Now remember, this is all within about a minute or maybe two that we're, we're doing this. So I nearly always shoot in spot metering mode. And I've gone through the metering modes before. If you do a Google search for photo taco metering, you should be able to find that and it'll go through what that means exactly. But I usually shoot in that uh, probably because I'm a control freak and I really want to tell the camera exactly where I want it to meter instead of it kind of looking all over the scene metering. I also shoot to the right or sometimes it's called ETTR, exposed to the right ETTR. And if you don't know what that is, again, photo taco episode, you can go search Google photo space taco space ETTR and find a full episode about that. I metered off of the bride's dress in the sunlight because I wanted to make sure that was not overblown. It probably was about the brightest thing in the photo anyway, but I, I, even if it weren't, if there were other parts that would have been blown out, I would have been fine as long as her dress was not. And so I, uh, I metered and I wanted to go about two thirds of a stop overexposed according to the meter, which comes by experience with this camera to know 
with a raw file, I have more room than that. So I, I know I can recover the highlights and be okay and have the full detail of the dress when it's about two thirds of a stop overexposed, which means I take the ISO to 800 at, with the shutter speed that I'd chosen. So took a test shot, looked at the histogram, confirmed that it was just touching on the right hand side. And if you don't know how to do that, again, a photo taco episode, photo space, taco space, histogram, and you'll be able to find me talking about that. So I moved my single point focus over the, the bride's eye, took a few shots to make sure I got the eyes open on both couples. And this was the first pose we shot the whole evening. And not only did I know this was different for me as I shot it, because I felt like I created it instead of captured it. As I moved on to other shots and poses that night for the first time in a photo shoot, I knew I had a keeper. I knew that this thing was going to be really good. It felt totally different as I did it. Totally different. I created instead of captured it. And it just felt so good. I loved it. And I hope it's going to be able to happen a lot more now that I feel like the pieces are falling in place so that it can. Post-processing on this one isn't nearly as important. It's been a lot of my shots in the past. It's another testament to how it goes when you create a shot rather than capture it. Not nearly as much need for post-processing. Not that I didn't apply adjustments in Lightroom and Photoshop, because I certainly did. I shoot raw, and that means making adjustments. So I played around with the white balance, the colors, the contrast, the highlights, the shadows, the whites, the blacks, uh, sharpening, noise reduction. I, I did. I still went through my normal workflow on this and still applied a lot of adjustments. I just did it with a much larger smile on my face this time because everything was coming out exactly like I had envisioned it from the beginning. I created the shot. I brought the shot into Photoshop and used luminosity masking to target some of the shadows and highlight changes that I want to make and bring some stronger local contrast to some of the areas of the photo, like the, the pathway I wanted to have some of the depth there, the shadows to really show up a little better and the highlights on the rocks around it and some of the vegetation around the area. I wanted to do that. I wanted to really darken down some of the shadows in the, the tree tunnel. And so I used luminosity masking to target those areas and add some additional highlights or shadows and darken, uh, dodge and burn. And I want to explain all of that here. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. The last thing I did was add a little bit of an Orton effect, which is what I don't want to explain here because that could be a photo taco episode all of its own. It's kind of a, a standard effect. You can find some, a lot of information out there about how to do it. It, it just adds a little bit of a professional look to it in moderation. <laughs> I don't like a full effect, but adding just a tiny bit really seems to make a big difference in landscape and portraits. I like it on both. All right, before ending this episode, there's one last thing I wanted to share. And as good as it felt to create a portrait for the first time for me, there was something I wish I'd done. <laughs> a mistake that I made, and it's because I just haven't done enough of this, I think. The natural light was still early enough in the day. It was just a little bit harsher than I wanted. So the shadows produced on the face of the couple were deeper and darker than what I wanted in the final shot. So what I wish I would have done differently, the thing that I haven't done enough of for it to have been a natural thing to do, everything else was more natural. The Deciding on the focal length, deciding on the aperture, deciding on the ISO, and using the, the right focus mode and the right... Uh, metering mode, all that stuff. I've done so much. It came very naturally. I almost didn't have to think about it. Off camera flash. I haven't done enough of for it to feel that natural. And 
I'm getting closer because as I was processing it, I came to mind was the one thing I wish I had done on this photo that would have just made it even better and would have helped me to, to really make that jump to, to uh, creating instead of capturing would have been adding some fill light to that side of the face of the couple. And I could have done that with a reflector, probably all natural light and just reflect some back up there. Uh, could have added a fill flash right there in the front. That would have been super easy to do. I could have taken two shots then. I could have taken the one I do have. And I could have then had my wife or someone come and either use the reflector or flash. I probably would have done flash. That's probably how I would do it in the future. Is put a very low powered flash right there in front of them. And, uh, and then have that information be there so that I could put the two together, merge them in Photoshop. And that would have just made it perfect. Now, I was able to achieve what I wanted there in post by doing some editing and, and I lightened the shadows on that side of the face um, the, the most I felt like I could without making it look too obvious. So I, I still got the, the shot I wanted. I still feel like I really created this photo and I still am really happy with how it turned out. But that little bit, that little bit more, I could have done it. And that's actually one of the things I like about photography because I think there's always gonna be that little bit that I could have done better. And uh, I love that. I like constantly improving. I love having something that is different every time I go and shoot. And uh, just, it's really cool to have that happen that way. All right, that's it for this episode. That's all I wanted to go through. I wanted to share the process. Hopefully I did a good job communicating it. It's really tough in audio. Um, it'd be so much more fun if, if I had all of you sitting in front of me, I could put the, the photo up on the slide and on, on a presentation somewhere and we could talk for a couple hours about it and go through it and, and what it was. It would be so much fun. That's kind of more like what it would be at the retreat if you go and buy tickets to that. Anyway, that's it for this episode. So I hope you all enjoyed it. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Improve Photography Podcast Facebook group, through Instagram by messaging at Podcast, or through more traditional means, email, where the address is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question, too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer, and I often don't, then I'll see about bringing an expert guest on or I will research like crazy until I do become more of an expert on the topic. Also, be sure to take time to head over to the mothership. Improvephotography.com makes all of this possible. Uh, we have constant articles up there updating all the time, news, gear, and other photo tip articles. It is the best way to improve your photography. Photo views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is reserved. Olay!